This morning, I want to introduce our storyteller for today. Cindy Streck is our storyteller, and I was thinking, what can I tell you about Cindy? And I have a great story about Cindy. A few years ago, you all know how I love shoes. I like shoes. I shouldn't love shoes. I like shoes. And Cindy had on the cutest pair of Christmas shoes. They were little black suede, and they had red and green holly leaves running through, kind of embroidered. And I, of course, was admiring her shoes. And a few weeks later, I get this wrapped present, and it's her shoes. She gave them to me. Is that not the most gracious thing in the world? So, Cindy, come on up and tell us your story. All right. Hello, everyone. It's been a long time since I've been up here with a microphone. Let's see if I can get through this. Um, so I come from a long line of perfect families. My great-grandmother gave birth to one daughter, followed by a few years later by one son. That daughter, my grandmother, also had a daughter and a son. That little girl became my mother, and she had me, and then three years later, my brother. Can you feel the expectation growing here? <laughs> I had my family all planned out before I started dating. I liked the name Daniel for my son, and my firstborn daughter would be Emily Joy, named after my mother's mother's mother, of course. But for some reason, God decided that pattern was getting old. I got married to a wonderful man, but children just didn't happen for us as they had for all those generations before me. We did some testing and everything seemed fine until the year we discovered that I had Graves' disease. That might have been part of the problem, but treating it didn't make any difference. So we got a beautiful golden retriever named Brittany. We focused on our jobs, traveled extensively, and I sang in the choir here. We were blessed in so many ways, and suddenly we were in our 40s. Just as a side note, my brother did eventually have three boys, but my poor mother never got the sweet little granddaughter she had been hoping for. <laughs> she had even purchased a dollhouse in anticipation. Anyway, God's plan is always best. Tim and I started feeling a divine tug into mission work, and in 2009, we took a 15-week class called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. It did indeed change our perspective. We finally saw a bigger picture of God's hand at work throughout the ages. We learned about the history of missions, the vast number of people groups and languages, as well as the current efforts to reach them with the gospel. It was so eye-opening and inspiring, and without the responsibilities of children at home, we were free to go. There were many short-term teams at HCC preparing to, for ministry that year, but we settled on the trip to China simply because those dates fit in best with my work schedule. That September, we found ourselves heading to, into northern China with a group of 21 individuals from Washington and Oregon. Suddenly, travel was no longer about the beautiful scenery and architecture. It was about people. We were invited to speak to students of all ages in their schools simply because we are native English speakers, and most of them had never even seen a Westerner before. We sang songs and gave short presentations on various subjects in the classrooms, and then had the privilege of sharing more deeply over one-on-one -on -one 
over many amazing meals. One of the schools arranged a day trip for us to visit the grasslands with about 25 of their teachers. The landscape was amazing to explore, but then I noticed a young woman wandering around calling for her mother, who was the headmaster leading our trip. She seemed like a lost lamb, and God blessed me with a few hours that afternoon with Chang Yuan Yuan, or Betty, as we teamed up to find her mom. Later, at one of our dinner parties, Betty brought a fellow college student to me who asked to be an exception. Eventually, we figured out that Candy wanted to accept Christ as her savior, and I had the privilege of going through the gospel with her and helping her to pray to receive Jesus. On our last night in that city, both Betty and Candy were baptized, and what a treasure that was. As amazing as it was to experience China like that, I didn't really expect to go back again, but the Lord and the friends we made over there drew us back with a new team the following year. In 2010, Tim and I led a subset team of seven to a second city for a few days of reaching out to other schools, and Betty came along to help with the translation. While we were there in a grocery store, another young lady came up to us wanting to practice her English. She was a bit difficult to understand, but she came to dinner with our group one evening and then came back to our hotel with us and asked for a Western name. We named her Rebecca and gave her the bilingual Bible showing her the story of Isaac and Rebecca so she could see her name in writing. She was so excited, even dancing, and then she asked us if she could call us Mama and Baba. What do you say to that? <laughs> sure, I guess so. <laughs> Later that same night, as we were getting ready for bed, Betty came to our room in tears. Evidently, she had already wanted to ask us to be her godparents, but Rebecca beat her to it. All three of us cried at that point as we had come to love Betty and reassured her that we really could have two goddaughters. Can you believe it? God transformed us from having no children to having two precious Chinese daughters in just one day. Since then, we have visited with Rebecca at least once every year. Usually, she has made the two-plus-hour bus ride, uh, sorry, train ride, to come see us wherever we are, always bringing us gifts. She works for an insurance company and lives on her own in a very tiny cell of an apartment that we've actually seen one time. She comes from a broken family, was raised by her grandparents, and is just hungry for love. We try to give her that on a regular basis through WeChat on our phones, as well as in person each year. However, in 2013, Betty actually came to live with us in Seattle. She was with us for about 11 weeks, and that was our crash course in parenting, even though she was already in her early 20s and very independent. It was great to be able to experience life through her eyes and do mother-daughter things like help her bake a cake for the first time. We went through sickness together, scheduled rides, and worried about her taking off on her own. We even had discipline issues. <laughs> she went to a volunteer job in Seattle and always loved having dinner together as a family. My parents also came up to visit for my 50th birthday that year, and they got to meet Betty in person and fall in love with her as well. It was an amazing summer with lots of fun and then lots of tears and heartache when she had to go back to China. The highlight for me, however, 
was probably two years ago when my parents actually came to China with us as part of our team, and they got to spend time with both of our goddaughters. My father recorded everything he possibly could on video, and one of those videos I heard him say, there's my granddaughter, Betty. That was so wonderful for me to hear. So Mother's Day celebrations aren't so painful for me anymore. Now I get to receive my very own special greetings from two precious young ladies in China who call me mother. This September, we will return to China again for our ninth year of ministry, and we'll get to see our girls once again. Our faithful God had a plan for my family, and he has brought it to pass. What a blessing. So this morning, our scripture reading is from the book of John. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. Now I'll be reading from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18 in the English Standard Version. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has a five-roofed colonnade. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, not, because, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Cindy. I heard the word unexpected in her story, so things are going to tie in well today. Well, good morning. My name is Julie Steele. I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen, and it's my privilege to share with you from God's Word today. We are in a sermon series in the Gospel of John, and we are continuing in that series. And today we are looking at the fifth chapter of John, and it is called An Unexpected Messiah. As I said, that Cindy read for us earlier, uh, as I was studying this week for today, it 
just came clear to me the word unexpected or expected. This theme was running through John's uh, chapter 5 here. Now, Jesus caused a lot of controversy because he didn't do what was expected. He wasn't predictable. He didn't do all the things that they expected the Messiah to do. Now, I have a question for you. How many of you out there like to know what to expect? Not all of you. The rest of you must enjoy chaos. Okay. Well, how many of you have had your life so far turn out exactly the way you expected it would? I don't think I see any hands there. Not very many of us have had our lives turned out the way we expected it would turn out. Life is full of good and hard, unexpected things. One of the opportunities I was thinking about that we have to find out just how strong our expectations can be is when we get married. We have this idea of what we expect life together will be like. And then the unexpected happens. You know, I counsel people that I'm marrying to not just have pre-marriage counseling, but have post-marriage counseling. Because usually it's about six months into the marriage that all of a sudden the light goes off and those unmet expectations come out quickly. The biggest thing is celebrating holidays. I find this is the hardest thing those first few years to get used to. I'm seeing some heads shaking yes. You go in with these expectations of your family's traditions and what your family ate and the recipes they used, and you find out that your spouses are just really weird, and you can't believe other people have been celebrating this way. We, what about the whole debate about stuffing or dressing? Everybody has a very personal recipe for what you use for stuffing or dressing the turkey. That was a big one for us. Well, that happened to us, and my husband thought the same as our family because he didn't realize till we got married that Jell-O was a salad. So that was a big one. Well, let's set the stage for our message today. The setting for the healing at the pool uh, is near what's called the Sheep's Gate in Jerusalem. Lying around the porticos, around the pool, are invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, John tells us. Now, the earliest manuscripts of John do not explain why these invalids were at the pool, but later scribes added an explanation that appears in verse 4 of some manuscripts, but not ours today. According to the explanation, people believed that an angel of the Lord would come down, stir the waters up, and then whoever was first to get into the pool after the waters had been stirred would be healed. Well, Jesus asks an unexpected question in verses here 1 through 7. He asks the question, do you want to be healed? Now, this seems like a ridiculous question. Why else would the man be there? He had been in this state for 38 years. 
The man seems to take Jesus' question as an innuendo concerning his inability to get into the pool. And instead of answering Jesus' question directly, he explains, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps in front of me. Now, this man has no idea who Jesus is. And most likely, he's thinking, if I just explain my problem, this man will put me into the pool. The man sees only one way to be healed, and that's to get in those waters. He keeps focusing on that instead of answering Jesus' question directly. So why would Jesus ask him this question? We're not exactly told why, but we can speculate that Jesus was addressing something less obvious, as he usually does. What would we say if Jesus asked us if we wanted to be healed of our physical, our emotional, or our spiritual sickness? The questions behind the question might be, do you really want things to change? Are you ready to leave behind all the excuses? Are you willing to do the work that needs to happen to be healed? It can be easier to live with the pain of what we know than face the pain of what we don't know. And that can keep us stuck. Because being healed changes everything. Maybe we want to be healed, but we're not ready for the change it's going to bring. Let's take some of these modern-day scenarios. Are you ready for the sacrifice of being in community or starting a relationship? Or do you like being used to the self-pity party you have of being lonely? How about, do you really want to forgive that person and move on? Or is it easier to distance yourself from the pain they once caused you? Are you willing to change your lifestyle habits, or will it take too much energy to quit your unhealthy routines? What scenario are you in right now that Jesus might be asking you the question, do you want to be healed or get well? Now, verses 8 to 9 tell us that Jesus did not put the man in the pool but instead, he commands him to pick up his bed and walk. This healing was instantaneous. After 38 years of being incapacitated, this man had full capacity to walk and not only walk, but pick up his bed and take it with him. This was a complete healing. Now, Jesus heals in an unexpected way. The man was just hoping for a dip in the pool, but Jesus went outside of the known parameters to heal him. I don't know about you, but I, I'm always telling God how to meet my need. When I pray about a problem, I'm really trying to help God out by telling him how he can do this. It's the perfect way to answer the prayer. It makes sense. It's doable. He's never taken me up on it yet. He always has an unexpected plan. 
And as I look back over the times in my life when I've had a need or a crisis, I can tell you that God has used some very unlikely ways to answer my prayer. So I am learning to not waste the energy to make the plan for God because he's not going to use it anyway. He's much more creative than me. Now, I've shared this story with you before, but it's still very powerful in my life. About 30 years ago, my husband had been out of work for quite some time and decided to take some career counseling. He completed the counseling and figured out some of the ways that he would um, be able to choose an appropriate career. However, there was still no job. And at that point, we were out of money, losing our home, had a one and four-year-old, and now had to come up with the remainder of the counseling fee, which was $1,850. It may as well have been $100,000. Clearly, clearly, the expected plan was for God to bring a job, right? Doesn't that make sense? What other way could there be? Well, about a year before all this was happening, a family friend of my husband's had passed away and left a small amount of money to us. And that was long gone at this point. My plea for a job was getting more frantic. You're in a position, you say, Lord, I am going to trust you for this. I am giving this to you. And 10 minutes later, Okay, God, did you hear that prayer? I'm not sure you heard that prayer because there's still no job. Okay, I'm going to trust you again. This really is it. Can you relate to that? We take it back. Well, then came something very unexpected. We got a letter from the attorney who had settled the estate of this family friend. The letter said that a mistake had been made a year ago in the amount of money that was left to us. He enclosed a check for the difference. $1,850. I can totally see Jesus doing the mic drop at that point, can't you? <laughs> well, we all have stories of Jesus doing the unexpected in our lives, just like in Cindy's story. Jesus is all about doing what's unexpected. After healing in an unexpected way, Verse 9 says, now it was the Sabbath. Nope, oh, go back. I can almost hear the dramatic music coming. Jesus heals the man at an unexpected time. Now, the Jews here refers to the religious leaders of the day. They don't say anything to this man about the actual healing. They only care that it was done on the wrong day. Not only did Jesus break the Sabbath, but the man was breaking the Sabbath by carrying his bed. I have this great paragraph I want to read to you from a book called, I'm going to show you the picture, it's called Moments with the Savior. It's a really great devotional, and I found something in there about this particular story. Here it is. The ritual of the Sabbath was regulated by the rhythms of the natural world, beginning with sundown Friday and ending with, and continuing until sundown on Saturday. Food for the Sabbath was prepared ahead of time. No cooking was allowed, not even starting a fire. No dishes washed, no floors swept. No work of any kind was to be done. Even what a person could carry was restricted. 
No, uh, carrying a burden was forbidden, but it wasn't clear what constituted what a burden was. Debates ensued, resulting in hair-splitting definitions of terms. The healing at Bethesda happened on the Sabbath. Because of the complexity of the restrictions regulating the day, the Jews saw only the burden the man lifted in carrying his mat, and not the one God lifted from the man. It should be no surprise, legalism is always short-sighted. Focusing on the foreground of external things, it blurs everything else. That's why the Jews couldn't envision God working outside the rhythms of the established religious ritual. Now, before we get too judgy of these religious leaders, let's think about how we do the same. There are so many ways each of us get legalistic and miss what God is doing. We focus on methods and external things, expecting God to work in the confines of what we deem as right or biblical. The Jews were so focused on the letter of the law, which, by the way, laws they added to God's law, that they missed the spirit of the law and they missed the spirit. The man who was healed even misses the fact that it was the work of God that healed him. He didn't know who healed him, verse 13 tells us. When confronted by the Jews, he shifts the blame over to Jesus, saying he told him to pick up his bed and walk. It's not his fault that he broke the Sabbath. Well, Jesus finds this man in the temple later on, and they have kind of a weird exchange. Jesus says, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him, kind of outing him in a way. The sin here that Jesus is referring to, I believe, is the sin of unbelief. We don't see any kind of changed life in this man like we did with the Samaritan woman that we looked at last week. He is just trying to figure out what's going on, and he is not even thanking God for being healed. He didn't even ask Jesus who he was when he healed him. You know, we don't hear anything about this man anymore. And this kind of shows me not everyone who encounters Jesus chooses to respond by following him. Side note, the story that I told you earlier about my husband and I, at that time, my husband was not a Christian, and he did not recognize that check as the work of God. It was a coincidence. He has changed his mind since then. <laughs> now, I admit that there are many times when I, too, fail to be thankful for what God has done in my life the undeserved work that he is doing every day, all day. I'm quick to accept the blessing, but sometimes I'm equally as quick to move on and forget what he's done. Now, verse 18 here says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Chapter 5 here in the book of John is a turning point in Jesus' ministry 
Because you see, now that Jesus was claiming to be equal with God, they were, going, they were persecuting him and they wanted to kill him. Jesus makes it clear that he's doing the Father's work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created by God, not because God needed rest, but because we do. Not just physical rest, but we need rest for our souls, which comes only from stopping our normal routine and resting in God's grace and work in our life. Mark says, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. How many of us cram our days off with activity and begin the week worn out from our supposed Sabbath? I think we all can attest to that. This is not what God intended He knows what we need. He created us. We need to be intentional about observing the Sabbath, not in a legalistic way, but a way that allows us to experience the rest that the Lord intended for us to begin with. Well, we finish with Jesus really shaking things up when he claims an unexpected identity, the Messiah. Jesus is equal to God the Father, but he's not independent of God. Jesus keeps saying he is doing the Father's will. He is doing the Father's work. Now, John's focus in his gospel is to show us that Jesus was God, not just a teacher, not just a prophet, not just a good example. It's really important for us to remember as we're going through this book this focus of John to prove Jesus is the Son of God, which is the name of our series. And it's important to know that everything Jesus did was for that purpose. Now, the Messiah that they expected would be a great human leader from the line of King David. He would have military and political power. He would not be the Son of God or have divine power. He would extend his kingdom over all the earth. Now, many of the scriptures that we read as messianic prophecies, they're not read that way by the Jewish people. I did some research this last week, and even today, reading modern-day ideas and thoughts about Judaism, it's very different from how we read things. So for the Jews in Jesus' day, it wasn't that they hadn't read the scriptures, which sometimes we think, come on, guys, why weren't you reading what was already there? But rather that Jesus didn't fit their reading. He didn't fit into the mold of a warrior and judge. But instead, he came to offer forgiveness and peace. Now, again, I want to bring this back to us. We do the very same thing. We have an idea or an expectation of who God is or who the God is that we want to follow. I've heard people say, my God wouldn't do that. Or a loving God wouldn't allow that. Or if that's the God you follow, count me out. Even John the Baptist who saw the dove descend on Jesus as John was baptizing Jesus, asked the question, are you the one 
or should we wait for another? You see, John was not seeing what he thought he would see in the Messiah. Jesus wasn't acting like that expected Messiah. He certainly wasn't reeling political power or military power. John was confused because Jesus was healing and talking about salvation when he should have been emphasizing judgment and condemnation. Jesus wasn't meeting John's expectations of the Messiah, and he wanted Jesus to step it up and start acting like the Messiah. So what do you do, or what do I do, when Jesus isn't fitting our Messiah mold? You know, we read in Psalms, he will heal all your diseases, but you're still sick. Or I will keep you from harm, but you've had a life-changing accident. Or what about Jesus' own words down in uh, chapter 14, just a few chapters ahead of us? He says, just ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. And you've asked, but it didn't happen. We all put our own interpretation on Scripture And taking verses out of context and not understanding Scripture as the whole work of God, not just a piece, is going to have us being confused about who Jesus is. We will have wrong expectations, and we will not recognize the work of God in the world and in our own lives because of it. Isaiah says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is a really good reminder that God is God and we are not. There are a lot of times when I say to God, be the God I need you to be. Meet my expectations. Be the Messiah I expect. This is a great quote from Tim Keller. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Pretty convicting. Well, how might you be trying to make God into who you want him to be? Think about that. Is there a circumstance in your life right now that you're expecting God to work in a certain way, but he's not? You know, sometimes the real miracle, the unexpected one, isn't having God change my circumstances, but it's living through what I thought would kill me. Jesus is all about the unexpected. From his birth It was an unexpected scene of being born in a manger. His whole life in his ministry, he was an unexpected Messiah, and even his death was very unexpected. With Jesus, we need to expect the unexpected. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your ways and your thoughts are higher than ours.
God, help us to see how you are working in unexpected ways in our lives, even today. And Lord, I'm thinking about all that are on the Guatemala trip right now. And I'm thinking about how I know you have been working in unexpected ways right before their eyes. God, we pray that you will bring them back with a new perspective on who you are and who they are. Father, help us to see, help us to embrace and understand the unexpected when it's hard to do. Help us to see that your ways are greater and better and higher and are for a much greater purpose. In your name we pray, amen.